Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Casey gives a word on humility and loving one another. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. I, uh, not really sure how I'm going to do this. I've got eight pages of pretty well thought out notes. Um, so we're just going to do it. So here's the thing, guys. This is my last sermon for like six months. All right, so I'm getting ready to go on sabbatical in a week and a half. Um, I'll be with us next week. That'll be my last um, gatekeeper service, uh, and I'll do communion, but, you know, it's not really the same thing as, like, a full-fledged uh, message. And uh, I've been praying a lot about what I should share. Um, uh, I missed our last week in our series on uh, sex, gender, and spiritual eunuchs, and I was like, man, maybe I should go out with a bang and do spiritual eunuchs. Decided not to do that because I just didn't feel right, and... Um, so I've been swirling on this particular chapter for about six weeks, five weeks, something like that in my own um, devotional life, uh, and I wanted to bring you into it. Uh, and so, so kind of here's what's going on. I'm just going to be, I mean, this is so hard. I, don't, I never know what to do. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm a pastor. I'm your, most of you, I'm your pastor. And uh, I try not to be like super honest with you. That doesn't mean I'm lying to you, as every good pastor should be. But I try to always keep a healthy respect of the fact that, you know, I, I'm, you're not necessarily the people that I need to be, like, super vulnerable with about my life, right? Like, I've got, you know, other people for that, other pastors um, for that. And so, but at the same time, it's like I should be authentic and I should be honest with, you know, like, who I am. And so I've tried to, like, ride the line uh, in my uh, sermons with you guys, uh, any kind of public, you know, gathering of, like, hey, I'm a human, too, but, you know, I'm not going to, like, share my junk. You know, I'll share with you the junk that, like, I've processed through and I'm on the other side with. I'm not going to really necessarily share you the junk that's, like, happening right now. Um, but um, I kind of feel like I'm supposed to share with you kind of the junk that's happening right now uh, and, and go through a passage of Scripture with a you. Uh, and, and here's why. I'm getting ready to leave to go on sabbatical. And if you don't know what that is, I totally get it because I didn't know what it was either. Sabbatical is literally... When uh, I think it's not just ministry leaders, but I, th- I think anybody can technically take one. But in ministry, it's where you, you take an extended leave of absence um, after a, a long period of full-time ministry, and you just um, engage, re-engage with the Lord, re-engage with your family. Um, we're all made from dirt, right? And, and God commanded um, the Israelites to give the land rest after um, six years so that the land would rest on the seventh year so that it would be more fruitful. And it's kind of like that, like, like we're made from dirt and we need to rest so that we become more fruitful, that kind of thing. So um, all that to say, I'm going on sabbatical, uh, and you're not going to get another sermon from me for six months. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what should I do? And I'm like, okay, I think I should go authentic, and I think I should tell you why I'm going on sabbatical, right? Because when I started uh, having this conversation with our leadership back in March, I had a very different idea of uh, the reasoning behind me going on break for six months, because that's, be real, that's a long time. Right, like I'm about. You guys aren't gonna see me for six months, and if if you're anything like me, you may be like, "Well, that's that seems a little ridiculous. What would possibly prompt that?" And so I kind of feel like I owe you an explanation to be like, "This is why I'm going on sabbatical for six months." Um, when I was talking about going on it originally uh, with uh, our leadership, it was back in March, and I was just kind of tired of ministry, and and I was just like, "I just need a vacation." 
You see a long extended break where I'm not around um, church for a while. And um, I kind of just chalked up, like, yeah, I just need a vacation. Well, about six weeks ago, um, some really ugly things started to uh, be revealed in my heart. And, and I'm not overstating this. This has probably been the most convicting period of time in my entire life. As a, as a Christian, as a non-Christian, as a pastor, as a, just a regular congregate, whatever, like this, the last four to six weeks has been um, painful and visceral and challenging uh, and encouraging and life-giving too, but it's been really hard. Um, and I'll tell you why. There are some things in my life that I thought were really shored up that I'm realizing are, were not as shored up as I thought they were. There are some areas in my uh, sanctification walk that I thought were done and dealt with, and the Lord is showing me that they actually are not done and dealt with, that I'm not nearly as mature as I thought I was, and I'm not nearly as strong as I thought I was. And uh, that's a really painful place if you've ever been there. Um, it's a particularly painful place when your job is to be there. And uh, so um, I am going to kind of tell you all of these things that like the Lord is bringing up in me because he's going to deal with it. I think he wants to deal with them on sabbatical. And I'm going to read the passage that he's kind of ministering to me on. And it's going to be Philippians 2. So you guys can open up your Bibles. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Um, I need you to actually get your Bible or your phone out because we're going to be going through a lot of Bible together. Um, and I'm, I want you to follow along with me. But um, yeah, it's been a really trying four to six weeks in my, my, my own life. Um, let me give you just the background so, so you guys can kind of catch up with me briefly. Um, so I've been, I'm 20, how old am I? 30, 32. I'm 32 years old. I've been doing full-time ministry as a, a youth pastor, young adult pastor, since I was 23. So almost 10 years. Um, and I've been doing ministry uh, in every volunteer capacity you can imagine, kind of like some of you guys where you're just like, I love church. I just got to be at church. Um, that was me for five years. And so uh, for basically 15 years, I've been in some form of ministry, but hardcore seeing behind the curtain, seeing how the sausage is made, so to speak, for like 10 years. And um, it's been uh, an interesting 10 years. It's been a joyous 10 years. It's been a really challenging 10 years. Uh, I've had the joy of uh, getting to um, help lead and watch uh, two uh, major church mergers. We took a Assemblies of God Pentecostal church, merged with a Baptist church that we did not know. Uh, an independent fundamental Baptist church. We're talking like, like hymns only. Some of the people only read King James Version. Um, it was like really intense. I had to wear a suit and tie like on stage, like that kind of um, thing. Uh, and we then merged with uh, 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 International House of Prayer. Sorry, I had to think about it for a second. And so we got like the Pentecostals, the Baptists, the prayer movement all together. We were uh, Newbridge IHOP for this weird little season. And now we are Gate City Church. We rebranded Glory to God. And I've gotten to witness so much change and so many joyful moments, uh, but uh, I've also, if I'm honest with you, I've had some really intense challenges um, over the years. So you can imagine when you're, when you're helping lead um, a group of young people and then their parents and then just other random people in the church uh, into these mergers, it's really difficult because not is it only uh, we're, we're move, like merging personalities and people, we're actually merging theology. That's really hard, right? You have to go, you have a different theology than I do. You have a different philosophy of how ministry is supposed to be done than I do. 
And it's not that we're just called to appreciate each other from across the street. We're called to do it together. And not only are we called to do it together, everybody who we're leading is called to do it together. And it was, it's just been really challenging. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, a lot of people didn't make those merges. A lot of people who started with us at the very beginning are not here. Uh, I've probably watched a thousand plus people leave this church in the course of six or seven years. Okay? And it's not just me who's watched it. A lot of you in the room have watched it. And it's been uh, really painful because I'll just, I'm just going to peel back the curtain. Uh, I, uh, throughout all of that, was, you know, like having kids and like learning how to be an adult. Like I was 23, guys. I was like, a, like any 23-year-olds in the room? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lead a youth group. It's terrible. Don't do it. Whatever you do. One of you's actually doing it. Don't do it, Ben. Quit. I'm just kidding. No, it's awesome. But it's really challenging because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm like 23 years old, preaching heresy, literally preaching heresy, but I'm super zealous and people are getting saved by grace, you know. And we've got this like sweet little youth group in like Bam Baptist Church and then uh, bam, you know, house of prayer. And it's like, well, we were just Baptists. And now we're like super uber Pentecostal. And it's like slingshot back and forth. And I don't know what the heck's going on. And there were so many moments that I just wanted to quit. I had several moments where I would call Pastor Chris or Pastor Dustin with tears running down my face, being like, I can't do it anymore. It's just too flipping hard. And then I would come, I'd have to figure out a way to preach a message and get some kind of heavy revy, you know what I mean? To like get everybody excited. And I'd come to church and everybody else would be feeling the same thing I was feeling, but I wasn't allowed to say, oh, I totally want to quit too. I would just be like, no, it's good. God's in this. This is awesome. This is great. And I'd have to get up there and preach a message that I wasn't really even feeling because I'm just trying to get by in ministry. And it was like that for many years. Now, my hardest seasons in the Lord have been since I've been a pastor. My personal hardest seasons. The things that I've, like seasons of struggle and pain and hurt and confusion and trial and turmoil have all been as a pastor. Now, also, I will say some of my absolute best moments have been as a pastor too. So it's not like it's all bad, right? It's not like a woe is me thing. But it has been, it's been really trying. Um, and this is all going to tie into this message. Don't worry. I'm not just like, this is, this is all going to Philippians 2. Okay. Um. I, uh, in the midst of all of that, have lost a lot of friends. You know, like, like um, I'm, I get a little, I'm going to use the woke language here, I get a little triggered when I hear people talk about spiritual family, if I'm honest with you, because I had spiritual family. And over the course of a bunch of mergers, I've lost that spiritual family because they couldn't hang, they couldn't deal with the theology change, the philosophy change, the leadership change, the structural change, you name it. The location change, the, the name change, the doctrine of beliefs change, the, whatever it was. I've lost so many people, not even as a result of, of like my personal relationship with them, but because they couldn't go where I was going and where I was committed to going. And so when I hear this idea of spiritual family, it hurts because, to me, spiritual family just doesn't last. If I'm honest, it's painful. We, we've lost, uh, we just lost Jonathan Carter, right? He just, he got another job at a church, and it was great. He didn't leave for any bad reasons. 
you know, but like I'm, I'm, I'm like sitting here reflecting on this going like, man, I've like really tried to get to know Jonathan and like really get to like connect with him because I felt this level of kindredness and it's like in a moment's notice, he's gone. And all of a sudden this stuff starts coming up in me and I realize, oh, I feel this way about like everybody. Like there's something in me that has happened over the course of the years where spiritual family used to be a really good thing. It's no longer a really good thing. And it's a very scary thing. And what I've noticed is that it's actually caused me to put up a lot of walls with people. And I basically don't trust anybody. And over the last four to six weeks, the Lord has been really causing some deep pain to well up in my heart as I realized, because I kind of thought like, like if you would have asked me six weeks ago, hey, do you love people really well? I'd be like, heck yeah, dude, I love people like super well. I love everybody. And if you ask me today, do you love people really well? I'd be like, I don't think I love like anybody. I think I've got like 15 people that I probably love. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No, I mean, really, like if I'm honest with you, because here's the thing, guys, uh, if I'm going to love somebody, I feel like I have to trust them. And if I don't trust you, it's really hard for me to love you. I can like you at a distance. I can value you, right? I can see you and think well of you. But to have a heart that says, I love you, I don't think I've, I've really done that super well. And that's a very new revelation for me because that's basically me violating the entire Bible. You can imagine how that feels. But here's why this is such a stark um, issue for me. And again, I'm going to bring this all back to Philippines too. I promise. We're not just going to talk about me. This is going to be Bible. Um, when I got into ministry, it was because I loved people. I didn't get into ministry because I loved Jesus. I got into Christianity because I loved Jesus. But I, I, when I met Jesus, the, the local church, the body, the bride, they were like so good to me. I had this like group of people, you know, probably 50 plus people who were constantly pouring into me and championing me and telling me how much they loved me. And they were like, they were like my lifeline, believing in me when I didn't believe in myself and when perhaps at other times lots of other people that I valued didn't believe in me. Like the, the local church was my lifeline. And when I got saved, man, I, I fell in love with the church. And so my natural expression was, I just want to serve the church. I just want to love the bride because they loved me so well. And so when I got in the ministry, I didn't have this like, I love you, God, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. It was like, God, I love your people. What can I do to help them? What can I do to give back everything that, that they've given me? And, and so I started like with this really pure heart and this like, really precious thing that like most ministers don't even start that way. Most ministers are like, God, I love you and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Even if it's plant a church and they're like, plant a church. And they're like, crap, I'll do it. It literally wasn't that for me. I was like, I will live my whole life in service for your people because I love you and I love them so much. Fast forward 10 years. Fast forward some major leaders in my life living a lie and me not knowing until the sin was pulled back and up front. Ten years later, thousand people leaving, a hundred of them probably close people that I walked with to a, a, a decently large degree, gone. Ten years later, watching dear Christians who I loved and would pour my life into, pleading with them in my living room, don't abandon the Lord, whatever you do, don't go down this path, please. And then watching them abandon the faith and suffer the consequences. 
10 years of watching just Christians who love Jesus just be moved on for no other bad reason, just that they move on. And all of those things have like layered on top of me and I've realized on my heart that I'm basically keeping everybody at a distance and I'm not the guy that I used to be. To be completely honest with you, as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, okay, well, I'm their pastor, what should I tell them? And, and the, the stark reality hit me, I don't even know if I'm most of them, I don't even know if I'm their pastor. I'm, I'm probably more their teacher because I don't know all of you. And I keep you at a distance. And you guys are really awesome and you're really kind. But I'm, I'm realizing that 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 would have never flied before because I just loved people and I loved God's people and I didn't care who they were. I just wanted to be around them and to pour into their life. And, and today I'm like this kind of almost walled up hermit that's like, hey, yeah, you're great. But I'm afraid, I think of the pain that comes when spiritual family doesn't stay consistent and doesn't last. And so the Lord's bringing up all this junk in me, man, that... um. The idea really is this, is that um, I've forgotten how to love people and I've forgotten how to serve people because I don't trust people. And so I've created this little chasm, not just between me and you. You guys are like 30% of what I do, between me and like everybody. It's like, I like you. I'll hang out with you. I'll get real enough with you so that we have some kind of non-servicey relationship, but that's it. If something happened to you, I wouldn't care. Because I can't. Because something inevitably is going to happen to you. And it's too painful. And the Lord's bringing all this stuff up in me. And um, I, feel like, I feel like garbage most. I mean, not like garbage, garbage. But like I really don't feel good about it. I'm like, oh, crap, this is not good. I can't be in ministry and not love God's people. I can't teach the Bible and not love the people that I'm teaching to, I can't pastor people who I wouldn't die for. And so the Lord's bringing this stuff up in me that is really brand new. Like you, you guys may, you guys, some of you guys are probably like, oh yeah, I've kind of known this. You know, I, this is totally new information for me. And so the Lord's been like, okay, I'm gonna take you through Philippians. And so uh, I'm, I've been trying to memorize Philippians too, um, which is a really great exercise if you ever want to feel bad about yourself. <laughs> Read Philippians 2, and you're going to realize how far you fall. Uh, at least that's how it was for me. And so here's what I thought I would do. I thought I would read to you um, Philippians chapter 2, highlight some, I think, key things for your life, give a little confession about my own life, and we can wrap this up, and you guys can pray for me before I go on sabbatical. Amen? Okay, I love you. Thank you for letting me just be honest with you. Um. Philippians chapter 2, go to verse 1. We're going to read a lot, all the way down to 22. Um, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Keanus, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I'll unpack that verse in a moment. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this, reason also, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, in other words, in light of this, beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation." among whom you appear as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain or toil in vain. Look at, the, look at what he says. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. He goes on to say, this is interesting, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. In other words, I hope you guys are doing well. Timothy's going to give me a report. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be, genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they, have all, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, this is Timothy's proven worth, that after he served me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. That's, that's it, that's 1 through 22. All of those things that I just read, it's like just hitting me hard, hard, hard. I want to go through the first verse, and we're just going to, we're going to, I'm not going to get through eight pages, there ain't no way, but we're going to, we're just going to plow through it as much as I can. First verse, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Here's the first thing I want you to know about this. Paul is writing to a local church, not the church. Paul's writing to a local church, the church in Philippi, the Philippian church. And here's why this is important, because he's looking at a local church like gatekeepers and he's saying, I want you to be of the same mind, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Same mind. Meaning, I want you to have the mind of Christ, maintaining the same love. It speaks to the fact that love requires maintenance and work. It's not something that's passive that you just have and is there. It's something that you work for and you're constantly keeping up with to make sure that you're doing it maintaining the same love, 
United in spirit, he says. He goes, okay, local church, church of the Philippians, I want you to be united. Okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, we're united in our value system, we're united in our doctrine, we're united in the country we live in, whatever. There's a million things we're united in. Here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, I want you to be united. In other words, you are not to be in opposition to one another. To be united means that you're standing together. Therefore, the opposite would be you're in opposition to one another. And he goes, I don't want you to be in opposition to one another. I want you to be united. He goes, in other words, I don't want you to be in opposition to somebody else's dreams. I don't want you to be, you, uh, 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 I don't want you to be in opposition to somebody else's desires or godly desires. I don't want you to be in opposition to somebody's convictions. I literally was just in a conversation with somebody where it was like somebody was trying to have a God-given conviction in one of the gray areas in their life, and they're like trying to work it out. And I watched another believer just poo-poo on the whole thing. They were like, that's ridiculous. I'm going, you're in opposition of their God-given conviction. We don't need to be in opposition of one another. We need to be for one another. We need to be united together. We are not to be in opposition of dreams or godly desires or each other's destinies. We're called to be an aid. And then he says this, intent on one purpose. This is like really important. Because if we're not careful, you can go to a local church and you can be at a local church for a long time and have your own purpose. And it could be a bunch of believers who gather in a room who all have individual purposes who maybe they're opposing to one another, maybe they're just segregated or separate from one another, but they're not all intent on one purpose together. And you're not always going to be a part of gatekeepers because this is a young adult ministry and God willing, you're going to grow up, okay? You're going to move on. The Lord will move you on, and it's going to be painful for me, and I'll deal with it, but the Lord's going to move you on, and you're going to find another church, and I'm going to tell you, one of the markers of the church that you should attend is what's their purpose, because if I'm going to be here, I can't be in opposition to their purpose, and I can't be separate from their purpose. I need to be intent on one purpose with them, because that's his message to the Philippian church. So the natural question is, what's our purpose? Okay, Casey, what's gatekeeper's purpose? It's really simple. We want to be as close to God as possible, as long as possible, as often as possible. That's it. We're trying to get like, not in theory, not in theology, not in concept, not good doctrinal statements. We're trying to meet Jesus all the time. We want glory, presence, God himself, not his word. We love his word, but his word is meant to get us to him. If his word doesn't get us to him, then it's no point. We want God, but we want God together. You don't want God, and you want God, and then there's a little barrier in between you. No, 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 no. We go, at gatekeepers, we want God. Physically, tangibly, spiritually, here. And we want God together when we go out from here, because it's not just Thursday night, and it's not just Sunday morning. So when I'm, I'm like hearing about you guys, there's a bunch of you guys getting together, and you're doing little Bible studies, you're doing little prayer meetings, and you're like, you just want God. I'm like, yes! You're intent on one purpose, not as individuals, but together. All right. Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Here's where I've been convicted. All right. Specifically on maintaining the same love. Key in on that phrase. For me, the Lord's working through all this junk in me, 
He's going, I want you to maintain the same love. And I'm realizing that something's happened as I've stopped trusting believers and I've stopped trusting the Lord to work through believers and I've stopped trusting leaders and I've stopped trusting basically everybody around me except for this little core group and even them. I'm like, "Mm, you could be a little shady. You could still hurt me really bad and it makes me a little nervous. As I'm realizing that because I haven't gone after love, what's happened is it's allowed me to fall into bitterness. Because I'm not being diligent to pursue something, it's like I'm walking up a down escalator and I'm not walking up. Instead, I just stay still and my natural tendency is to drift backwards into bitterness. And so here's the deal. The Lord's revealing this stuff to me and I'm like, listen, I'm like the happy, loving, like I'm, this, this is new for me. And I'm realizing, holy crap, I'm offended and bitter. I'm offended and bitter at individuals, but I'm offended and bitter at just the church. Because the church has put me through some stuff. And here's, you ready for this? Here's, the Lord speaks to me like really meanly sometimes because I need that. Like he's, he's not always like the kind, tender shepherd and I'm, I'm like the kicking and screaming lamb, goat mix, you know? And he's like, all right, we're gonna deal with this. You ready? He goes, dude, you're not even going through trial yet and you're already offended. And I was like, but Lord, what about all those things? What about all the trials? He's like, that's not trial. Because it's real pain, but that's not trial. Prove it to me. All right, go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, this, I think I have it. Oh, God, Lord willing, I don't have a, I can't quote it, but I can read it if I have it on here. <laughs> and I do, because I prepare. Matthew 24. This is Jesus talking about the end of the age. Okay, this is what he says. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. By the way, the they he's talking about is so clearly the religious system of the day the church, okay? Then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many and because lawlessness or sin is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, dude, my love's grown cold. I'm easily offended. And I, I kind of feel like betraying people sometimes, maybe not in a real intense sense, but at least here in the heart. And the Lord's like, dude, they're not even killing you yet. I mean, read that. You're going to be hated by all nations. They're going to kill you, and they're going to throw you over into tribulation. And he's like, and even then, his instruction is, hey, listen, you still love them. Even if they're your enemies, you love them. And you got to be really careful because in the midst of intense pain and trial, well, you're actually going through real hell? He goes, that's going to be one of the reasons that people fall away from God. Because they're going to be offended and betray one another. And I'm going, holy crap, Lord, I'm not like in any kind of trial, and I'm already doing that. I'm living a cushy life. Dude, ministry, as hard as it's been, I live like a better life than all of you, I guarantee it. Just being real. Got an awesome wife, I got three awesome kids, I got a great home that I shouldn't be able to afford. I got people who love me. I got people who are affirming to me all the dang time. And I'm over here like licking my wounds going, um, it's been really hard. It's super, super hard, Lord. And he's like, dude, you need to like grow a pair. Sorry, I don't think I can say that. Just being, I'm going on sabbatical, so you can't do anything. 
You need to man up, stop licking your wounds, and realize that the enemy's working on you, dude. You have to maintain the same love. I can't do it for you. And I'm going, okay, God, that sucks. That's really hard. He's like, yeah, but if you could do it here, at the end of the age, you'll be able to do it. Because you're just in practice. I'm like, okay, I'm in practice. All right, so that's where I'm at. I want to love. I want to love better, man. All right, um, let's go to the next verse. Can, I, can you guys give me till 9.15? That'll be like a 45-minute sermon. Thank you. Um, do nothing, dang it. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Kind of preaches itself, doesn't it? Doesn't it hurt? Doesn't say, you know, do some things with selflessness. Doesn't say you have a little bit of selflessness. It says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Nothing. Everything in this culture and everything in this flesh is working against you and I adhering to this verse. As a matter of fact, the entire cultural system, if you could just take a moment, imagine if every human being on earth adhered to those, how many words is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If every person on the planet adhered to these seven words, do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, do you know what would happen? Think about it. Think about it. There would be no sin. You can't find a sin that isn't rooted in selfishness and empty conceit. As a matter of fact, here's, you see it's really interesting. Who here knows what the Church of Satan is? All right, I'm going to get a little Illuminati here with you. Okay. Church of Satan was founded in the 1960s. Okay. Now, can we just all agree that the Church of Satan is like the direct opposite of what we are? Yeah. Church of Satan, Church of God. Can't say Church of Christ because they're a little weird, right? Church of God, okay? Sorry, I'm on sabbatical. See you in six months. Church of Satan, we'd be like, they're the worst, okay? But they're actually new on the scene. There's actually a, a religion and a man that influenced Anton LaVey, who started the Church of Satan, and, and this man was from the late 1800s and early 1900s. And as a matter of fact, he has the title of the most wicked man to ever live. If you were to Google right now the most wicked man to ever live, this is the guy who would come up. And his name is Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley, his dad was an evangelist. He grew up in the church and then quickly departed the faith. And here's the thing, he was the most wicked man on the planet, so much so that his own mom called him the beast. She was convinced that he was the actual beast incarnate. He practiced not just magic, but dark sex magic, and wrote entire books on it, and started a cult called Thelema. It's the nastiest, most perverted, most intense, intensely wicked human being that we have that's ever walked the face of the earth. And funny enough, he lived the same area in the same time frame as C.S. Lewis. So there was some, you know, interesting stuff happening between the two of them. It was like one's light, one's dark. It's kind of cool. Anyway, 
You're like, why the heck do you say this? What does this have to do with do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit? Do you know what his cult's slogan and mantra was? It wasn't do dark sex magic. <laughs> so there was called. It sounds silly, but that's what it's called. Right? It wasn't just rape and pillage and plunder. Their slogan was this, do what thou wilt. And they gained traction in the early 1900s, not by getting people to do bad things, but by getting people to do what they wanted to do. Do what thou wilt. And that was the, that was the um, uh, uh, inception of the church in, of Satan. And so often, the enemy is going to come to you and not try to get you to do bad things, but he's going to kind of convince you, hey, you should just kind of do what you want. Freedom, baby, liberty. Do what you want. Because what you want isn't that bad. But when you give yourself to what your sin wants, it goes from being not that bad to being a little bit worse, to being a little bit worse, to being a little bit worse. And next thing you know, you're neck deep in it. You're doing things you never thought you'd do. That's the point. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And I would argue that the demonic influence in the earth today is echoing Aleister Crowley's mantra, do what thou wilt. Every major social issue of the day is stemming from the exaltation of self rather than the honor of others. Every social issue of the day is stemming from the exaltation of self rather than the honor of others. And he says, Jesus goes, no, not allowed to do that. You don't get to do what you want. He goes, you do what I want, and you do what's best for others. It isn't do what thou wilt. It's don't do what thou wilt, because what thou wilt is bad. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. But he goes on to say this, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Think about this in the issue of culture today. Imagine if we just regarded one another as more important than ourselves. Imagine if we got this in the world. Imagine if we got this in the church. And I'll just say this, we have no chance of getting it in the world if we don't have it in the church. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Everyone repeat after me. You ready? I am no more important than anyone else. Oh, yeah. Let it sink in, baby. You're not more important than anyone else. I'm not more important than anyone else. My time isn't more important than yours. My agenda isn't more important than yours. My dreams aren't more important than yours. Now, here's the thing, guys. This is where I'm really convicted is I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, let's be real. Let's get real personal. Do I value my time over your time? The answer is probably yes. Do I value my own agendas over your agendas? The answer, if I'm honest, is probably yes. Do I value my dreams more than everybody else's dreams? Though I may not actually say it that way, if I look at the manner in which I live my life and the thoughts that enter my mind, I think the answer is probably yes. Because everything in our culture is trying to get us to do us. I do me. It's about me. It's about my life, about my time, my desires, my mental health, my this, my that, my, 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 my. And Jesus is going, it has nothing to do with you. You died. 
in this equation, you're gone, and now I live through you. Dude, that's painful. Because if I'm honest, I do not measure up to that. Now, here's the thing. You can go way out of balance with this. You can be like, well, listen, should you just, you know, be completely self-deprecating and, you know, I'm loathing and I hate myself. No, 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 no. But here's the deal. I don't think most of us are probably going to go there. We're so far on the other side of it's about me, my talents, my dreams, my desires, my vision, my will, that we could like completely overcorrect and we're still going to end up maybe somewhere in the middle if we're lucky. And I'm going, oh God, I don't live like this. And it's not that you're not seeing yourself as important. Let me get this. This is important. You're not looking at yourself and going, I suck and they don't. You're not looking at yourself and going, I'm not important, but they're really important. You know how like, you do that with like, some like, leaders or pastors? Like I've had people in my own life where I'm, I look at and I'm like, oh, I just, I mean, I suck compared to your greatness, you know? And I wouldn't say it like that, but we kind of were weird about it, you know, that little pastor worship thing, right? Corey Russell comes walking to the room and I'm like, dang, man, I'll never be. No, it's not that. It's not I'm not important and therefore you are. It's I'm important, but you're just more important. I'm important, but you're really important. And that shift brings value to you, but it gives you right thinking as you're interacting with other people. Because it's not you suck and they're awesome. It's you're awesome, but they're more important right now. They're more important. It's not about you. It's the prodigal son, right? We always talk about the prodigal son, Right? Oh, man, it was amazing. You know, the, he asked for his inheritance, and he was a real jerk, and he goes out, and he's with the pigsty, comes to his senses, and then he, like, comes back, and he grovels at his father's feet. He's like, maybe they'll take me back as a servant, and he puts the ring on a finger and the robe on his back. Now I'm singing John Thurlow. You are my son, my daughter. Thank you, three of you. I put myself out there. Trust issues. Bam. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, but for, but for real, you, you guys know the story? You know who we don't, you know, this is who we don't talk about, the brother. The brother. You remember what he does? He goes, well, how come you don't do this for me, God? How come you don't do this for me, Dad? Where's my party? And you can just imagine the father in the moment going, dude, it's not about you. It's not about you, dude. It's not about you. Now, here's where the Lord's, okay, now, listen, I'm like throwing stones at you, okay? Let me get over here. I'm throw the stones. I'm going to take them myself because the Lord's like, it's not about you, Casey. You need to look at other people, not in theory, as going, yeah, they're more important than me. But no, you need to live in that way. It's a life of service. Look at this. He goes on to say, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Lost it. Do not look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Okay, now let me give you two ways in which we often violate this verse. The first one is we actually just flat out violate it and we don't look at other people's interests. We don't, we're not looking out for other people, we're really looking out for ourselves, right? We do it, I do it, you do it, which is make peace with the fact that we do it, we shouldn't do it. But the more sneaky and conniving way that this thing manipulates itself into your life isn't by flat out only looking at your own interests and not theirs, it's finding that optimal ratio of your interests with theirs. 
It's finding that optimal ratio where you can say, uh, you know what, it's, it's, I'll, I'll look out for your personal interests as long as it hits the convenience button for me. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. But, I'm, you know, it's a little inconvenient right now. And that's a really painful thing. Here's how this works. As Christians, that's not how we're operating. And as a pastor, I can't operate that way. Like, that's not what we're called to do. What we're called to do, look out for others' personal interests above yours. That means that when there's a moment of inconvenience, and both of you are about to be inconvenienced, you go, okay, I'll take the bullet. I'll open the door. I'll let the person through in traffic. I'll take the phone call from the guy I don't like at church at midnight. I'll go pick up the person from the airport because it's my one day off and I don't want it to be all about me. It's those little things where we go, it's not about me, it's about someone else. And I'm so guilty, guys, because if I'm honest, over the years, though I think I really started out this way, all the shiftings that have happened and all the, the hardness of my heart, what's happened is I go, I don't really look out for everybody else's personal interests. I kind of go, okay, where's the middle ground where we both get what we want? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't like, all right, I'll get a little bit of what I want, you get a little bit of what you want, I'll be a minorly inconvenience for you. That's not what he did. What did he do? You ready? He gave his life for his friends. He gave his life for his friends. Look at this. He goes on to say, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So here's the kicker. Here's what he's saying. He's tying all this back together, and he goes, okay, so be like Jesus, who had this kind of an attitude, guys, who didn't do anything for selfishness or empty conceit, who was united in spirit, intent on one purpose, maintaining the same love, regarding one another, regarding us as more important than himself. He's like, be like Jesus who had this attitude, who although was God, though he had top dog status, though there was none higher, better, more equipped, more of an expert, more perfect than him, he goes, instead, he took the form of a man, not just any man, a bondservant. Though he was the top dog, he became the lowest. And he goes, that's what you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to have this attitude, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself as a bondservant for all men. And I'm going, oh, God, I don't think I'd do this. I think at best I might empty myself as a bondservant for like three people, and even then it's a little wishy-washy. I'm not even sure I do this with my wife super well. I'm not sure I do this with my kids super well. I'm definitely sure I don't do it with y'all super well. I don't do it with my leaders. I don't do it with those around me or above me. 
And I'm going, oh, God, well, this has to change. doesn't matter if I think I'm right about something. I die. doesn't matter if my time is going to be inconvenienced. I die. It doesn't matter if I don't want to do it, but it's going to help somebody. I go help somebody, and I choose to die to myself because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And listen, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me because I'm realizing, guys, I just suck at this. I don't do this, man. We're supposed to mimic Jesus, not just as leaders, as Christians. We're supposed to have the attitude in Christ, which is, though I am God, I'll take the form and function of a servant. And guys, I think I've just forgotten how to serve people. And so when it comes down to what's best for me, or what's best for you, I'm realizing that I think so often I, I choose what's best for me and hope that it works out for you. And I'm not just meaning you as in gatekeepers, I mean you as in the body of Christ, the Christians. And I'm going, Lord, you gotta make me a servant because we're all called to be servants. And here's the thing, guys, we don't, we're not servants of God, although to some degree we are, right? We're sons and daughters of God, but we are servants of one another. Like, it's okay, you're not going to be a Pharisee if you're trying to serve people. You become a Pharisee when you start to, to overly serve God. You're like, I got to do whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just work for you, God. I'm just going to work. I'm going to work, work, work. You don't do that for God. God loves you. He's with you. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're accepted the beloved. Hepzibah. Great. But you do do that for one another. Why? Because Jesus did that. Greater love has done than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And he goes to say, you are my friends. He goes, I'll give my life for you. But here's what's fascinating about Jesus where I'm so freaking convicted. He doesn't just give his life in the moment. He gave his entire life to the service of other people. The people who loved him, the people who hated him, the people who honored him, the people who dishonored him, the people who, who loved him, and the people who killed him. He gave his life to serve them. And I'm going, Lord, I used to want to do that. I used to get up in the morning and be like, how can I help the church? How can I love the church? How can I go the extra mile and serve these people and be whatever they need? And I'm realizing I don't do that. But I want to do that. And I can't be in ministry if I can't do that. And so I'm going, Lord, you got to deal with this in me while I'm on break. you got to. Because I can't come back living in selfishness and empty conceit than just teaching you guys at a distance and loving you guys at a distance or loving my neighbor at a distance over there or any other Christian in my life. I can't do that. You gotta go all in. Gotta go all in. Here's all my chips. I love you. As much as it depends on me, I will serve you. Now, for me, guess who's also included in the I will serve you? My family and my kids. They're part of the church too. So I'm gonna do that too. But I'm just, I'm going to commit to you guys. I, I'm going to confess, I have not been overly inconvenienced by Christians recently. I have not allowed myself to be overly inconvenienced by Christians for lots of bad reasons. Some of it's selfish, some of it's fear, some of it's trust issues, some of it's all. And I'm going, Lord, I don't want to do that. I want to come back and I want to be vibrant again and I want to serve God's people again because I love God's people because God's people really are the hope of the world. If we don't get this right, we're screwed. Dang, I'm just using all kinds of words I shouldn't use. So sorry. I actually don't have a foul mouth. 
<laughs> Josh would say that. Look at you with your tattoos and your beard all masculine. <laughs> I've forgotten how to serve, and I'm sorry. I've forgotten how to serve you, and I'm sorry. He says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. This is it. This is the last verse we'll go through. I told you until 9.15. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Let me just make this point. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Jesus was not humbled. He humbled himself. Jesus wasn't humbled. He humbled himself. There wasn't some outside force or circumstance that caused him to be humble. He humbled himself. And all of us, we get this, right? I've preached this a million times. The Bible tells us to pray for lots of things. It never tells us to pray for humility. It says humble yourself, okay? So there's just like maintaining the same love. There's ownness on us. We've got to maintain the same love. We have got to humble ourselves. And so the question is, naturally, well, how do I humble myself? And he gives us the answer. I've never seen it before. It's stunning, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How did he humble himself? By becoming obedient. And so many of you guys are like, listen, I don't want to live in selfishness, or empty conceit. I don't want to live in pride. I'm going, I don't want to live in pride and selfishness, Lord. And I'm realizing I'm doing that so much more than I thought I was. How do I kill that? How do I go low? How do I humble myself? And he goes, oh, obey. It's obedience. Because there's no act like obedience that will humble the human heart because what that's saying is going, I am not the Lord of my life, but you are. That there's a higher person who gets say-so over me. And that's true humility. And it's not just he's the Lord of your life and you're not. He's also the Lord of your thoughts and you're not. He's also the Lord of your emotions and you're not. He's also the Lord of your dreams and desires and you're not. And I am not. He's the Lord of my mind and my words and my actions and my feelings and my schedule and my circumstances. He is the Lord. And if we become obedient to him and his lordship, the byproduct, guys, is humility. But it goes beyond that. What did Jesus be obedient to do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. So it's not even just being obedient to what God's telling you to do, like go to Africa, go to the Middle East. It's being obedient to die to yourself on behalf of others because that's what Jesus did. Isn't that remarkable? Oh, Lord, I... I don't know if I do that, man. I don't live a life in service of people anymore. I live a life in that optimal ratio of service to people and convenience for me. And God's like, yeah, I don't do that. That's, I'm not in that. You go all in. I'll take care of you. You'll be fine. I'm gonna, I missed a verse that I want to go back just briefly because it's really important. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Okay, <laughs> definitely don't do that. Can we, show of hands, who's convicted by that verse? Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights to the world. Okay, raise your hand if you want to be lights to the world. Stop complaining. That's what he says. 
That's what he says. Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Who wants to prove themselves to be blameless and innocent? Stop complaining. That's the Lord. I'm telling you, that's what he's doing to me. And I'm like, mm. I'm, I got to prove myself to be blameless and innocent? Isn't it by preaching the gospel or teaching the Bible? Just no. Just stop complaining. Like, that's really hard to do. It's easier to preach the Bible. Yeah, it is. Got to live it, though. Okay? Okay, so here's the thing. You see, we complain when we're discontent. And what we're really complaining about, if we're going to boil it down to, is we're discontent with what the sovereign God has allowed in our life. And so usually this takes the form of a person. Usually we don't typically complain about circumstances as much. Most of the time we complain about people. And are you ready for this? Oh, my gosh, this is so convicting. Just buckle up. We complain about people that God has sovereignly placed in our life so that we would minister to them. We complain about people that God has sovereignly placed in our life so that we would minister to them. In other words, this is what he's going. He's going, Casey, you got a complaining problem. You got a, you got a grumbling problem. And you're complaining about these three people. And he goes, has it ever occurred to you that I sovereignly orchestrated the universe to put you and them together so that you would be a light to them, that you would minister to them, so that you would bless them and help them and aid them and love them and serve them because I have a special blessing for you, but it's only found on the back of service. It's only found on the backs of blessing someone else and being an aid. And that person, which was supposed to formulate a blessing for me and a blessing for them, that person who the Lord was like, I'm bringing them to you because I can count on you. I know that you're going to do great. You're going to love them really well. You're going to serve them. You're going to be an aid to them. You're going to be a help to them. You're going to be an encouragement to them. And instead, I'll hear I am just complaining. Well, so-and-so didn't say the thing that they should have said to me. That's real, bro. They don't value me. They don't see me. They didn't look up at their from their phone when I said hi to them. They didn't text me back. I sit there and I start complaining and I start building a case. And the Lord goes, dude, you were supposed to minister to them. They were supposed to be a source of joy and you were supposed to be a source of joy in their life and you're the weak link in this. And I'm going, okay, that's painful to hear. He's like, yeah, but I love you. Do you remember why God points out these hard things? Hebrews 12, I talk about it all the time to you guys. He goes, I discipline those whom I love for what, what, what son is there who doesn't have a father who disciplines them? He goes, but, but earthly fathers, they discipline you. That seems best for them. He goes, I discipline you. Oh, so that you would yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I discipline you because I love you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.